Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson. Have you heard about the miracle with my wife, Laura? If you haven't been following us on Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Dobson or facebook.com slash rebelparenting. We have been dealing with uh, cancer with Laura for almost two years now. She has had uh, cancer in her lower lip. We've been treating it and... Uh, a little over a month ago, we found out it had become uh, aggressive or it had spread and she needed surgery and we've been praying about it. And they went in and did the surgery. It was a very extensive uh, reconstruction. And when they tested all the tissue, the cancer was gone. There's no cancer. A miracle happened and we are praising the Lord for it. Thank you all so much for your prayers. Thank you for the meals. Thank you for the support. It has been just overwhelming. It is just filling our hearts with joy to see all of you joining us in this struggle. The recovery is difficult. There is a lot of pain, uh, but we will get Laura back on the mic as soon as possible. In the meantime, we got a great program for you. We have Mike Faberez on the broadcast today. He's the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church in Alicia Viejo, California. He graduated from Talbot School of Theology. That's important to me because it's on the Biola campus where I went. He's a great guy. He's got a book that's very important to parents today, Raising Men, Not Boys. Without any further ado, here's Mike Faberez on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the broadcast. This topic is talked about a lot. You've got a book called Raising Men, Not Boys, Shepherding Your Sons to Be Men of God. This is It's in the cultural zeitgeist. It's the grown-up boy syndrome. You know, you've got the, the – there's all these typical things – how did you come about writing this? What's, what did you see that said, I've got to start helping parents do a different job? Well, the zeitgeist wasn't enough for me. I, I did see it all around, but it took a guy putting his finger in my chest and saying, you know, you've got to write this book because I've seen your boys. I know what they're like, and we're just not producing enough boys that are mm. courageous, determined, decisive, and mm. It was flattering, you know, and it's kind of hard to respond to a compliment on your kids with, oh, yeah, I should write a book about that. But I started just talking <laughs> yeah. to my wife about it, you know, and I said, hey, how many times have we been in these young married groups at our church or doing a, you know, a marriage retreat together and having these parents just continually ask us basically the same 25 yep. questions over and over again. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I just, I hit up Moody Press and I said, listen, would you be interested in this book? And not really thinking they would respond positively. Wasn't sure what they'd say about it. And they were so ambitious and, and excited mm -hmm. about the idea. Just everything kind of providentially came together. And I thought, okay, this is good. This, I, we can get this in print. And selfishly, I thought I could just hand this to somebody instead of, you know, going through all the same sure, questions sure. again. But, uh, you know, I, I realized it is the zeitgeist. It is what's going on. We hear it every day, this gender fluidity and mm -hmm, not to mm -hmm. mention the 35-year-olds in the basement with, uh, you know, ESPN on uh, yeah. you know, playing Xbox and ordering pizza. We, we we certainly need to do something to change the trajectory of what's going on in our culture regarding uh, men. They're, they're yeah. not they're not they're full grown boys, many of them. Mm. Well, what are some of the pitfalls we've fallen into? You know, as we're listening, you know, we know there's an issue going on. We see the symptoms. What's the problem? What did we do? You know, there was, you know, my parents' generation, my grandparents, I think of the things they did and the, the things they built and the, the work they accomplished. And I look at, you know, a lot of things going on today. Where did we get it wrong? 
Well, and this is systemic throughout every issue, but, you know, it really is a a taking seriously of God's revelation to man. God has spoken. He is, as the Bible says repeatedly, he is, there's one lawgiver and one judge. Somebody set the rules for us, and that's our creator, and one day we'll be held accountable for those rules. And we've got to be courageous enough to not be conformed, you know, to Mm -hmm. kind of this relativistic out, you know, outlook that the world has and say, no, wait a minute, there is a God, he created me. There is this thing called gender when it comes to raising, you know, Mm -hmm. boys and girls, Mm -hmm. God cares about that. And one day I'm going to stand before this creator and I'm going to be held accountable for the stewardship of these little human beings he's put under my care. And I got to get serious about getting back to the word of God. So the problem Mm. is we're not taking the word of God serious. And Mm. to put it in a phrase that no one seems to like these days, we don't fear God anymore. The fear of God, we've lost it. We, We don't look at the scripture as an important revelation that should, as it says in Isaiah 66, we should tremble at his word, not because we're afraid he's going to toss us into the fires of hell, but because he is the ultimate authority. He knows best. And so we've got to say, this book is important. What does it say about gender? And what does it say about parenting? And that's one of the things I think that is the cause of it all, our our lax attitude toward God and his words. Mike, I just thank you for all you're doing and taking a stand. Mm. And, and we completely agree that the fear of the Lord has left the church. Um, what are you noticing when you um, share this with men? Well, you know, I think we've been so kind of entertained uh, as, as that, that <laughs> yeah, Neil Postman absolutely. book said, we've, we've kind of, uh, you know, we, we've amused ourselves to death. And, mm. and when you hear every mm. parent say, and it's not just outside the church, it's in the church. When you ask, you know, what's, what's, the, what's your hope for your kids? I mean, the, the, the default answer is, I just want my kids to be happy. happy. And, mm. and, and, when, and when that is our goal, right? And, and we no longer care about, you know, I want them to be holy, or I want them to please the Lord, or I want them to be men mm-hmm. of character. You know, we've we've missed the goal. And so what does make them happy? We'll give them a screen whenever they want it. You know, if they want, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you can afford to buy them, if they're clamoring for it, give it to them. And we've kind of wrapped ourselves in this kind of pleasure, convenience, comfort, mm-hmm. this, this quest to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I think that has really been the hard thing to tell people that's really not your goal. Not only your goal yeah, isn't to be happy. It's been the opposite for that. There's so many studies coming out that, you know, the generation that everybody got a participation trophy and mm-hmm. you, you know, there's no grades because it's going to make you feel bad. They're deeply, deeply unsatisfied with life because they don't know how to succeed. They don't know if they're right. succeeding, if they're failing. And, and they've been told it doesn't matter when innately we know it matters. And before it you does. were talking about we lost the fear of God, we fear everybody else around us. Yeah. I, you know, when yeah. you started yeah, saying that, I was thinking, but all the parents I know have, have this fear of doing a bad job or this guilt or this shame. And, and we I mean, too, we're in it. Yeah. We do, but that light bulb went off when you said it. They're not afraid of being judged by God for the job they did with their children. They're afraid That's of what right. everybody around them thinks. We are, and that's easy to understand. I mean, yeah. it's because everything around us is immediate. We get all the immediate feedback from our coworkers, our neighbors, our grandparents, you know, Aunt Betty. They, they're quick to, to chime in. And the biblical mindset and perspective and worldview has always been, you've got to think bigger than that. You have to think long-term. And even in parenting, think of the principle, I want to k- teach my children deferred gratification. And that's mm. what we're saying. And, and Ryan, when you were talking about this isn't fulfilling, it's not. Even though our kids want to go 
to Disneyland every day or eat, you know, donuts for breakfast every day. If we gave them what they wanted, let's just picture it. I mean, this is an absurd illustration, but Mm. throw them into Disneyland and say, you're going to live here. You're going to ride every ride every day. You're just going to hang out in this wonderful place, eat cotton candy. It it ultimately will destroy them. Mm -hmm. It is not what they need. It will not satisfy their desire to be meaningful people, have significance in this world, make a difference. I mean, we're, we're really feeding kind of people the frosting of life and thinking it's going to nourish their soul, and it doesn't. So I agree with that. The, the, the thing we're saying to people is, eat your vegetables, it'll be good for you. And you mm. can understand in a world that's, you know, giving them, you know, pop rocks to eat every day, it's hard for them to realize that that is good for them. And I think everything in our sanctification and Christian life ultimately is coming down to that in a world. You say, how do people respond to this in a world that says, well, I don't know, that seems hard, that seems difficult, that seems like going to take work. Yeah. I'll, I'll be a Nazi parent if <laughs> yeah. I do all that. Totally. Mm, totally. I, I just, before we move on, I have this running joke with our son, Lincoln. I, I say to him, you know, son, I don't care much about your happiness right now. I care a little bit more about your character development. And he just stares yeah. at me. Yeah. And the kids in no, the neighborhood so hear good. me say it. That's and they're so like, good. wow, Mrs. Dobson, I don't know about her. <laughs> no, it's so good. You know, I'm talking about rebel parenting. That's a rebel statement right exactly. there in a world that says, I don't get that. Yep. And, but it's so good. And and I've I've joked with my kids from the time they were little, you know, get used to disappointment. Totally. That's going to hurt. Yeah. Welcome to the world. Love Those anything kind of and your heart will be wrenched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tell Lincoln that. Right. right. He's like, what? Exactly. <laughs> So oh it's goodness. helpful for them to learn these things early. It is. It is. Mike, um, there's there's something we talk about in Rebel Parenting, and I know this isn't what you're saying in this book, but I want to try to walk it out a little bit. We, when you talk about our kids, I say I want to keep them younger longer. I think our culture is trying to grow them up so fast and make them mature and sh- expose them to things that they don't need to be exposed to. How do you keep ki- boys younger longer, keep their innocence and Teach them to grow up to be men. Teach them the hard work. I mean, you talk about sweat in the book and you talk about discipline, Mm -hmm. you know, hard work. How do you balance, you know, I have a little boy and I also have a future man Mm -hmm. in the house at the same time. Right. Well, didn't Jesus address that concept when he says, yeah, I want you to be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd as serpents? You know, Mm. there's a sense in which in my book, I am trying to get you to think about them growing up. The first chapter is all about envisioning your your man's future every day to get that sense in your mind that they're going to be dads, they're going to be productive workers, they're going to be husbands. And so in a sense, I'm trying to get them to be as shrewd as serpents about the world they're going to live in. But of course, I mean, my whole ministry is about trying to make sure we are as innocent as doves when it comes to our lives and our hearts. And so Mm. we want our kids in many ways to have that sense of, uh, you know, protection, guarding their hearts against a lot of things that we just don't need them exposed to. Matter Mm -hmm. of fact, we'd like them never to be exposed to. And yet I find so many parents don't Mm. recognize I've got to push further and harder in terms of thinking about the adult things they're going to deal with in the yep. future that are good and wholesome and right. Mm-hmm. And at the same time saying, you know, you don't need to listen. You don't need to watch that horror movie. You don't need That's to right. see those horrible yeah. things. And, and, and you know, those are the kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may run across a terrible car accident one day and see that in your mm-hmm. adult world. But that's not the kind of thing I'm fostering. I'm not trying yeah. to get you ready, you know, to deal with every uh, sexual situation or every gory situation. Or I just think we've got to recognize that that 
that principle. And Jesus taught it, innocent as doves, mm. but as shrewd as serpents. And in one sense, we're pushing forward, think future, think adult, think mature. And in another way, we're saying, listen, if I never know, you know, what those people are talking about in that corner when they're talking about their sin, that's fantastic. Yep. I'd love to be innocent about all that. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And it's a maturity thing. You know, I really like that because it's true. We don't show our sons certain movies or certain situations. We don't play them certain things that's on the news, you know, and that's something that we've had to coach people in around us. They'll call us and say, you know, our kids are having nightmares or they're having trouble. And, and we say, well, you know, do you watch the news in front of them? Are they being exposed to things that they can't really handle right now? And I really like that distinction you're making. That's a, such an important one. Well, you know, and didn't Jesus tell us very clearly when it comes to our minds, I don't care if we're 40 or four, whatever's true and honorable, just, pure, mm-hmm. lovely, commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And we got to be careful we're feeding ourselves. And this is the double standard of a lot of parents out there that oh, I think yeah. they, 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 can't, they can't live in a, in a sense that says, well, I don't want my kids exposed to that, but I can't wait to do these things or play those video games or go watch this uh, awful movie. And, and they feed their minds on a lot of things that aren't good. And in a sense, you know, people are looking at, at my life as a, you know, a 50 year old saying, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you just, you're really not hip and, and with the scene on all the things that are going on in the world. And I'm thinking, you know what? I don't need any of that. Yeah. And God has told me I'm not going to put my mind on those things, mm-hmm. not to mention my four year old or my 14 year old. We don't need that stuff in our house. Yeah. We agree here at Rebel Parenting. And and sometimes you seem like you lose friends when you take those stances. You will. You will. And you know what? You don't have to be, we don't have to be uh, rude about it. We don't have to put our nose up in the air and and brush off. We want to win those people ultimately. And you know what wins these people is when they see our children, when they see our children acting respectfully or serving with a joyful Mm -hmm. heart and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just pitching in. And then they say, wow, man, your kids. And those are teachable times from one parent to another parent to say, hey, here are some things we did. Here's Mm -hmm. here's some principles we put into, into practice. And so they will come compliment your your kids and when they do we need to let them know you know there's some uh you know there are open secrets in the scripture as to how to help help our kids get to that place and mm-hmm. so we can help these people we want to win them over and yet we will lose some friends because some people say ah you're i've been called a nazi parent you know more <laughs> times than i want to you know to, to, to tell you because we've got rules that we're not going to change and and we want things out of our kids that we expect we're not going to have tantrums and complaining and these are things we just are going to live with. But if you fight those battles when they're young, you, you can recognize that so much of their character is developed so early. You know, we don't have to fight those. You know, everybody talks about these terrible teenage years. Well, we didn't have those with our three kids. Mm. And, and in part because I think what was really terrible was working through those toddler years and learning them to control their outburst of their feelings and their, mm-hmm. their behaviors and, you know, say, the, the delayed gratification, that's the goal. When you can make these things really be your goal when they're young. You'll find the fruit of that, even being born before they leave your home as 13, 14, Mm. 15 year olds. Man, Mm. Mike, I want to talk about that because you really talk about serving and how to get that entitlement out of teens. Before we get there, I've got an 11 year old and it's funny as a grown man to see when those little bursts of testosterone hit him. And I know there's a lot of parents out there and you were talking about, you know, kids behaving and being respectful. Little boys have a lot of testosterone and they do little boy things. Um, I know we I've coached a lot of moms and my dad certainly has talked about that and bringing up boys. Sometimes women that only had sisters or and, you know, have boys 
it's a surprise on how physical yeah. boys are, how you yes. know rough and tumble, tumble and yeah. you know all this aggression they've got, and they think, <laughs> oh no, this things. is it's dangerous. It's not dangerous, but one talk to those moms, and then what are some of those ways when your little boy is just like, ah, I've got mm-hmm. all this energy. What do I do? What are some of those great ways to get all that stuff out of them because they need releases for it? It's a good, healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't want to lose any friends in this uh, response, but listen, moms, I got to talk to moms about how you're having these debates with your husband about what you're going to let Junior do. And, and unfortunately, in our world, it's like the culture is always enforcing the female perspective on parenting. And in that regard, whether we're talking about what we should let Johnny do or how we should respond to this situation in his life, even if I could get every mom listening to this broadcast to say, you know what, I'm going to start letting my husband win these debates, uh, let's say half the time, you know, because when mom wins 90% of the time about what Mm. they think is the right thing to do, they're bringing what is very important, a nurturing, caring, softer side of parenting to their children. And we need that. We want that. God designed it that way. Two parents, male and female, masculinity, femininity, and all of that makes sense. But when every single time and in our culture, all it does is enforce that female feminized perspective when you win those battles and you can because every girlfriend you have every every tv show you watch everything you read is going to say you've got the right perspective on this and your husband's a dope Uh, but when it comes down to it let your husband win some of these arguments Mm. yes I mean, just think of the typical Mike, thing. Give me some and I know specifics, been, though. Like, what arguments well, are you talking about when it comes to masculinity and boys and, you know, things like that? I don't think he should go into that store and make that transaction for his ice cream by himself. Mm. I don't know that he should have a skateboard. I don't think he should go on that uh, on that scouting trip. Mm. I, I'm a little afraid he's going to be, uh, you know, put in peril if he does, uh, you know, that uh, that paper route or mm. well, paper routes anymore. But whatever. <laughs> These, you know, I don't sure, think he's sure, ready sure. for his part time job. And dad is going. Yes. He is. This will be good. This is going to make a man out of him. And you know what? Moms often win those conversations. And think about when a, when a kid falls off his skateboard. Mm. Right? That immediately, mom's like, told you we shouldn't have got this. You know, or even he's sent to the ER, right? He's got a broken arm or something. Uh, you know, getting rid of all that. And dad's going, no, put a cast on it. Get it signed at school. Get him through this. And, and, and make him get into this world being a man who knows what it is to have uh, ri- take risks and sometimes suffer the consequences of those risks. Adult life as a Christian That's is my full of, of risk. You know, it's crazy, right? Mike. It's my struggle, though. I was that. I mean, if you heard any stories about me, I was jumping off the roof. I was riding a skateboard as an adult. I was jumping out of airplanes and and doing that. I struggle watching my son get hurt. I just do. I cringe at it. I struggle with those things. I struggle watching. And I mean, I was in the ER over and over and over and over again. Right. I still struggle with that. Well, here's here's why, Ryan, I think, because you've grown up in a feminized culture. We, we've sissified a lot of our guys, and I'm not saying you're a sissy, obviously, right? You're rebel parenting and all that. I get it. But it, let me just ask you this. If your great-grandfather uh, watched your grandfather get hurt, 
how would he respond to that, right? He's going to dust him off. He's going to, you know, pat him on the rear end and go get back on the horse, and we're going to conquer this thing. And today, when our kids fall off the bike, we start to act like mom and go, oh, I don't know. Should we even have let him have this bike? And, you know, we kiss his boo-boo like a mother. And all I'm saying is our dads need to be more manly and Mm -hmm. recognize that our Mm great-grandfathers would look at us and say, what is wrong with you people? How can you live in the real world with sharp objects and difficult things and think that you can raise your kid to be a man, let alone a man of God, if he's not able to take some of these bumps and bruises, both literally and figuratively in this life. So I always like to think of my great-grandfather, and of course I didn't know my great-grandfather, but I'm thinking, how would he respond to this situation where my grandfather that was seven years old and had this situation? I think that'll help get this kind of uh, frilly edge off of our thinking about our kids. Well, and Mike, what about using all those struggles and pitfalls and falling off the bikes as the bedrock for teaching character development. Yeah, absolutely. Because think about it. We want all the fun without any of the hurt. <laughs> totally. Right? We, we, want, we want the crown without the cross, right? right? We'd like to have all the stuff on the shelf that we didn't pay for because we didn't have a part-time job or we didn't save up any of our allowance to get it. And the parents are doing the same thing. Think about how many Christian parents are in radical debt right now. Their credit cards are through the roof. Mm -hmm. They're living by that principle and their kids are learning to live by that principle. Delayed gratification. I should add a chapter just called that because (laughs) so much of this book (laughs) is about that. If we can learn to recognize that God is a God who has us wait, God is a God that says, wait a minute, your crown is on the other side of this cross. Yeah, that's true. God is, it, mm-hmm. you know, God is in the business of of knowing that we are not going to be handed all this, you know, like like through the window of a, of a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. So we need to learn. There's pain involved in this life. Even Jesus, think about it. Learned obedience through the things that he suffered. I mean, think of that statement from Hebrews. If if the Messiah, the perfect one, learned how to do the right things through the suffering of his life, and and we're talking not just about the Garden of Eden, we're yeah. talking about the pattern of his adult ministry there, uh, then we can only imagine what his childhood was like. He had to go through the suffering that every kid should have to go through, but moms are working so hard and dads are jumping in and agreeing with them Mm. that they shouldn't suffer at all. Hmm. It's true. And that's the biggest problem in America today. I don't think, I think, I feel like Americans feel like they shouldn't suffer for any reason for any length of time, you know, ever. Right. Or ever yeah. be inconvenienced. Right. That's right. You know, we'll, we'd right. rather take a pill or a medication or a drug or ignore it right. or, you know, call yep. a friend or, you know. When I think it's yeah, just continuing if, if, to notice it in ourselves and then just keep moving towards Jesus. Right. And you got to keep moving toward Jesus mm. in a world that's not. Because yeah. you know what? If, if you don't have a cell phone, we're going to have a government program that's going to get you one. Yep. You know, while while you go home to a 40-inch TV that uh, your, your great-grandparents would say, I can't even believe you have that miracle device on the wall. Exactly. All I'm saying yeah. is, in our culture... And here's here's a statement for you all the way. I mean, we're a long way from the book right now, but the idea of misplaced compassion in the scripture, there are there are those statements in the old King James. Don't let your eye pity him. There are situations where we got to stand back and say, you know what? Uh, there's a difficulty here in that person's life, and though it's easy for me to think about butterflies and kittens and say, wow, can I swoop in and help them? In some cases, we need to say, you know what, that is part of the sowing and reaping of life, and I've got to recognize that some things in my kid's life and even in culture's life, we need to learn by that pain. As the proverb says, the hunger of the of the, of the the worker, it drives him on, it moves him forward. And we're saying today, hey, if anyone's got an issue, let's give him a handout. 
We're saying that in our culture and we're saying that in our homes. And we don't want our kids to wait. We don't want them to suffer. We don't want them to work. But Jesus says, think about this. Hmm. He says so much about it. Let me just go to Paul. It's the simplest statement. When he speaks about people, he says, listen, if a man is not willing to work, neither let him eat. That's a third person Greek imperative. And those are hard to translate those sometimes because it has the force of an imperative. And that is you are not allowed to do this, but really it's a statement about becoming an accomplice or an accessory Mm -hmm. in this. So if I take someone who should be driven on by his appetite to get to work to do the right thing, find dignity in that and have his needs met, if I get in and help him, See, then I'm becoming a, let's just call it in modern, you know, psycho speak here. I'm an enabler in his life to do something that God is saying, I don't want you to do. And in my kid's life, I got to let them suffer. I got to let them work sometimes in places that they're going to make me feel like my compassion wants me to step in. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say, no, I can't. I can't have misplaced compassion just because my kid is hurting or struggling. I need to help them learn so much of life uses that struggle to do good things for God's glory and his character. Mm -hmm. So Mike, talk about how you apply that to, you know, when you've got a boy that seems lazy or unmotivated. It's it's hard Mm -hmm. in these days to motivate young boys. You know, we had Jocko Willink on the podcast. He He's a former Navy SEAL, Way of the Warrior kid, and we were asking him this. It's really hard. What do you do when you feel like, Man, these kids today, they're kind of lazy or unmotivated. Yeah, and I had a parent come to me and my wife one day and say, you know, I can't get my kid out of his room. Mm. Uh, Matter of fact, he hasn't taken a shower for eight days, and he just sits in his room and he plays video games. And and you know what? I don't want to throw it all back on the parent. I know there's a lot of things going on in kids' lives that make them kind of be a recluse or whatever. But I'm thinking to myself, well, I think my kid would be pretty hungry by the time he gets to the third day. Uh, How is he getting fed? And my wife and I are just asking basic questions. Well, you know, I, I bring him food every day. And I'm saying we often enable our kids to be lazy. Yeah. I remember one day I told my kids, and this isn't in the book. I wanted it to uh, to be palatable for the average person. But since I'm on rebel parenting, let me share this story. Bring nice. My, Bring it. My, my, my kids, right? I, you know, of course, I'm telling them to make their beds, right? Yeah. Make your bed every day. You, you know how to make your bed. You can do this. Matter of fact, change your sheets. Do the things that, that normal people do. You're not a prince and we're not your butler and your maid. So we want them to do these basic things. Well, I remember I, I had made it pretty clear uh, you know, when this was to be done and all the rest. And my wife finally comes to me, you know how that is. I don't know what to do with John. You know, mm-hmm. John has not made his bed. And I said, I know what to do with John. And he was out somewhere at a baseball practice or something. I took all of his stuff, all of his, all of his, uh, um, uh, sheets and everything, took them out, threw them downstairs in the middle of the walkway to where he can come into the house. And I took his uh, mattress, just dragged it into the hallway and said, well, you know, tonight, if he wants to sleep, I guess he's going to have to reassemble his bed. And, and of course, what was great about that is I put him to work, which is basically an unpleasant consequence for right. his disobedience and his laziness. Well, it was going to cost him more work. And he knows mom and dad aren't afraid to do that kind of thing. So guess what? He drags his mattress back in. He assembles his bed back together. And now... He, you know, from that point on, I don't know if it ever happened again, but I don't think he ever missed making his bed because he recognized if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, which is a reasonable expectation, now I'm going to be paying the penalty in some other way. And parents, unfortunately, aren't willing to do those hard things. Lay down the law, draw the line in the sand, and then don't do like what a lot of our politicians do. Well, I really didn't mean it. I was hoping you'd just respond to my uh, my heavy rhetoric here. Uh, You know, we need to mean it. We need to be... And here's a word again we don't like, a disciplinarian that doesn't, 
you know, come off of our words and, and just get known for being uh, the sky is falling threat making parent. We need to have consequences that are reasonable and done not with anger, mm-hmm. but done reasonably while we're in our right mind and say, this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. And sometimes mm-hmm. even be creative. Yeah. And of course, my kid laughed at me when he saw that his, you know, his bed was all torn apart. But, you know, I said, I'm going to sleep. I'm not going to mm-hmm. fix your bed. Time for you to fix it. And I bet you'll uh, work harder to get your bed made because no telling where your mattress will be next time. Yeah. Right. It could be down the the driveway yeah in the backyard hey mike i just wanted to move into more like a sensitive uh topic discussions when is the best time to talk about like sexuality dating marriage things of that nature what age laura laura that's a good question and you know josh mcdowell wrote the forward to this Mm -hmm. and of course he makes some crazy statement about if you start day two you've started a day too late or whatever (laughs) but uh you know, he's got a point. And, and if Josh is on this kick right now, and it's a good one, that we live in such a sexually saturated culture. Mm-hmm. If we don't start warning our kids, preparing our kids, directing our kids, you know, we're going to lose them for sure in this big tidal wave of sexuality. So, you know, I certainly lean in that direction that I want to get this discussion going long before they ever double take on the magazines at the checkout stand, right? I want them to know, listen, the reason there's all these billboards, and I don't care if you do raise your kid in a a hermetically sealed bubble and you homeschool them and all the rest, they're going to see uh, women being presented to us as, you know, as objects to to uh, whip up our our sexual desires. Yep. They're going to see that. You're going to see it in the mall. You're going to see it as you drive down the, the 405 freeway with the, the billboards mm. for the strip clubs. Yeah. There's just no way to get around this. And I think we need to start teaching our kids that because, mm. of course, as dads and, you know, I hope, Laura, you know, Ryan, he sees that yeah. and, and he I mean, it, it rings a bell. We yes. can't we can't help that. Right. But that's the time we need to say, hey, I just saw something provocative. Hey, let me tell my little kid, mm-hmm. even though he's small. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. you know what? You know why they're in their underwear up there? Mm-hmm. You know, because they see this relationship of a mommy and daddy as something just to, you know, to be for their own gratification. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, just eating candy for them as opposed to being something that's, you know, in a context of, of a loving relationship of a yeah. mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Whatever age appropriate thing you can say, that even before the of. hormone just rush, start. <laughs> start talking. Start, start talking. talking. Yeah, because it's everywhere. I, everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. And my warning in the book, in that chapter eight, is always to to try and help parents, especially with daughters, to make sure you don't just vilify uh, sex. Yeah. And that's an easy way to do it. Right. Because a lot of Christian parents say, I don't want my, you know, my 14 year old in the backseat of some kid's car. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell him, you know, sex is horrible. Well, it's terrible. You shouldn't do it. And we then create you're set these up frigid, for a, yeah, that's right. frigid well, And if there's any abuse or I mean, we know every story has other stories connected to it. So mm-hmm. we want to no, that's right. be for those people too, but also start talking about the issues that are plaguing our society and our children. And if That's you don't right. talk I mean, about look, it, somebody else will. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Someone else will, and they're doing it every day. And then look at where this leads. I mean, look at uh, what's going on in the Senate and the Congress today and yeah. all these politicians. I mean, you've got people mm. that have lived by this standard of it's all about fun and games. It's, you know, sex is a Disneyland just to gratify your own desires. It's like eating ice cream cones. And, and then they're out there 
living this out. And now all of a sudden they're going, oh, well, I guess I'm not a man of character and I shouldn't be in the Senate. Right. These these are the things that we need to teach our kids. Look where this takes you. I mean, even a reasonable Mm -hmm. person in a non-Christian world is going to say you can't live like that. So we don't want you to live like that. Just like these billboards are telling you, you got to live like this. Mm -hmm. Right. We're saying, no, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's Satan, Mm -hmm. not sex. Sex is not satanic. Mm -hmm. Sex is a righteous thing. Those Puritans that everyone says, you know, you Christians are being puritanical. They even were willing to invoke church discipline if a wife or a husband came and said, my spouse is not having sex with me. They were pro-sex, right? (laughs) I'm not here to defend the Puritans, but I am saying God is pro-sex. Right. God is pro-sex. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk positively with my kid. That's as, that's almost as important as the warnings I give them, mm-hmm. is to make sure they know sex is a great, wonderful gift from God. I can't wait for you and your spouse, and this isn't going to land on ears that are ready for it, obviously, when yes. they're young. But, you know, it's going to be a great thing. When those, mm-hmm. you know, those hormones do start to flood their bloodstream, that's when I do want to say, and I've said it to my kids, listen, you're going to stay out of the backseat of the car with the, the girl at, at, at church. You've got to do that. But you know what? I can't wait for you to have all the sex you want to have that you guys are willing or able to have once you get married. That's It'll right. be a great gift from God, mm-hmm. and you'll enjoy it. You know, the other thing, you've, you talked about Congress and all the things going on in Hollywood and churches and Congress all over. Mm-hmm. That's the time, too, to talk to your kids about what it means to be a real man. And real men yes. don't do that. And real men don't condone other, other men, men who that do, do that. Real men, <laughs> That's right. you know, this is something I, I've been hearing a lot about. And it's the, oh, he's a good guy. You know, I know he right. said that thing that sounds terrible, but really, he's not like that. He's a good guy. Hey, let me tell you, no, he's not. If he said that terrible right. thing to a woman about a woman in front of a woman, he's not a good guy. And men don't put up with that. And if we didn't, you know, I just tweeted out the other day, how many women wish Harvey Weinstein had a Mike Pence rule where he wouldn't mm-hmm. have closed door meetings with a woman? I mean, there's so, how many so women many. wish wish Matt Lauer uh, and his wife had a Mike Pence rule? I mean, mm-hmm. this is what right. real men do. Mike Pence is as vice real president, man? real man. Right. No, and, and they hate that, right? Remember the response when Mike Pence said That's that? Right. The world went crazy. Oh, yeah. It's like he's some kind of Martian and he's a crazy man. And not only that, they spun it as an anti-female. Anti-woman. Right? Right? Yep, a misogynist. Right, it's anti- yeah. right, he's a misogynist and this is wrong. And, so and yet, far from listen, the truth. You, we've got to connect the dots for our kids and let them see that. Hey, you know why dad never has meetings with women by themselves, mm-hmm. right? And the reason that dad lives according to the principle of, of Mike Pence. And I mean, I don't care. You don't have to be a pastor to say that, whoever you are. Yeah. I hope every Christian dad lives by that rule. And then you make the connection. Mm-hmm. Well, look, when you see Franken doing these things, this is why. And Matt Lauer is never going to do this unless he's in that uh, that office by himself, mm-hmm. locking the door with no windows with a woman. These are the, the kinds of lessons. You're right. We need to teach. And we need to not be like a lot of growing evangelicals today that say it doesn't matter how someone's character is it just matters you know what their policies are because mm. in reality what we're looking for is people and men and women of integrity because even if the populace doesn't care god cares and god looks at character god does not look to quote the old Sunday school verse, you know, at the outward appearance, he's looking at the heart. And that's what we need. We need leaders in churches. We need leaders in businesses. We need leaders in government that are going to be men of integrity. Mm-hmm. Mike, you know, as as our kids get older, my parents always said they were trying to raise us to let us go. You know, as, as we got older, they were, mm-hmm. you know, my mom was teaching us life skills, how to cook, how to clean, how to do laundry, you know, those types of things. As our sons get older and 
you know, we're trying to teach them to have independence, live on their own, and still abide by rules. How do you walk that tightrope? You know, how do you walk that teeter-totter of, of independence and you're still in our household? Well, I think if you do your work early enough, you'll recognize that much of what goes on in those teenage years from 14 to 18, I'm really just kind of observing the outgrowth of the of the of the parenting I did when they were younger. And, and if you look at the biblical words, there's correction, right? And there's direction. There's a sense of, of the discipline and admonition of the Lord. In, in some sense, when they're very young, all I'm doing is restraining their, you know, their bad behavior. And then as they're starting to become, you know, five, six, seven, eight, now I'm starting to coach them into good behavior. And then basically, by the time they're getting to those adolescent years, I'm going to lean back in my parenting and kind of watch how they put all this into practice. And so in a way, I'm sensing that my kids need to feel a sense of independence when they're in their later teenage mm, years in particular. Right, right. But yet I'm here every night. You're not in a dorm room. You're not coming back to an apartment. You come back to my house. Mm-hmm. I can sit at the dinner table the nights that you're there and I can talk about your day. I can wait up till you come home and say, tell me about your night with those people. How did it go? And I can begin to debrief as an advisor because that's what I want to see that last period of my parenting be. I'm going to be a counselor and an advisor and because I, I know this. My kids, when they're 15, 16, they could do really whatever they wanted. I don't care how strict my rules are. They can find a time and a place and they're smart sure, enough to figure sure. out how to fulfill all their sexual desires or whatever it is that they want. So I'm, I'm kind of preparing myself for letting them go mm-hmm. and, and having them be completely independent and just checking in as I do now with two in college, just on a uh, text every now and then, if they'll text me back, mm-hmm. I, that I mean, all I can get in those last years is a sense of, of stepping in when there's a crisis and, and, and counseling them and praying with them and praying for them. And I think, you know, in your mind, as I say in the first chapter of my book, you've got to be, as you, your dad put it, you, you're letting, you're getting ready to let them go. You're envisioning their future. You're trying to shoot them like that warrior into that next generation. And so you're always envisioning the future. Think about your kids moving out on their own. And let's be done with these jokes about, you know, and they're never going to move out or especially with daughters, you know, they're not going to date till they're 30. These are ridiculous statements yes. that need to stop totally. in the body totally. of Christ. <laughs> and we need to get ready for them being functioning adults in this world. And so it is a push and pull, right? I want to keep them in the home to coach them, but I got to really give them that, that, that freedom to get out there and start to make those decisions and suffer the consequences, even if they're bad decisions. You know, one of the ways my parents did that when I was a senior in high school, I was 18 and I was still at home. I was still under their insurance. They still paid for things. Obviously I wasn't an adult out of the house, but I did sign my own forms at school And I didn't have a strict curfew, but they said, you got to be home for dinner because they want to know where I am, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. And then if my work was done and they weren't even really checking it at that point, I was a senior, I was 18, I stayed out pretty much whenever I wanted, but I had to be home for dinner because they wanted that connection. Right. Absolutely. And I remember telling my kids, I had the same situation, my kids 18 when they were seniors. And, and I said, listen, I don't care if you're talking about a roommate in your college dorm or a, a roommate in an apartment in your first job or your wife. Listen, they want to know when you're coming back. And so do I. I may have a curfew for you now, you know, Mr. 18 year old, but it's courtesy and kindness. Right. right? I want to I want you to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that means you have a sense in when your roommates coming back. And I know I'm more than a roommate to you, but you give me the respect of of at least keeping me informed of your plans. And if they change, you're going to let me know. So, you know, I think there is that sense in which you're giving them that freedom, but you are trying to teach them 
you know, how to live in a world full of other people and do that with a kind of, of dignity. When Jesus grew in favor with God, he also grew, the Bible says, in favor with men in Luke 2. And, and that's what I want. And I think mm-hmm. so much of this is, is people have the false idea that freedom means, you know, they become ultra private. That's not true, right? I, I don't want to live in college with my roommate <laughs> and never know anything right. about what he's doing, where he's going, or when he's coming back. And I think that's where we're trying to teach them courtesy, and they're trying to teach them manners, mm-hmm. and trying to teach them to live mm-hmm. as someone who grows in favor with men. In community. Um, can you talk, I have many friends that are single parents, And I'm just thinking of them now. Is there anything you can say to them to encourage them on this journey? Yes. And, and, you know, even what I said earlier about, you know, God made male and female, masculine and feminine and all the rest. I say those things and a single mom is trying to raise their kids without dad in the home. Mm -hmm. feels like, you know, I got a parent with one hand tied behind my back. And all I would say to you is this. Beware of the temptations. And the temptations are a heart that just covets. And you sit there and you think, well, that that family over there at church got the great dad and I don't have that. And I'm just going to pine away thinking if I just had that, everything would be great. Listen, don't do it. God tells us we cannot covet our neighbors anything. So God has given you this Mm -hmm. particular situation, whether it's through your own making or whether it's just God's providence and you had nothing to do with it. You were an innocent party, but you are by yourself in this role right now. And I'm saying don't let your heart envy what's going on across the Mm -hmm. street or some other couple in your small group you've got to stay focused on the fact that this is your this is your 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 uh, your equation this is where you're at and i would say god just read your bibles i would say Mm. he's an expert in taking the underdog and and, and making him someone who accomplishes his goals right i mean when he picks gideon he picks someone who's the least Mm. right he's not he's not qualified he doesn't know how to fight and then he puts his ragtag army together and god says (laughs) oh it's too good let's cut it down so god is trying to show us page after page Mm -hmm. in the bible that he loves to take the underdog the one who's not favored, the one who doesn't think he's got all the resources, and he makes that person successful in the task of doing something for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing for the Lord is discipling young lives, and you can do that even if you had both hands tied behind your back. If you depend on God, you rely on his resources, which include his church, and you trust him to do what he's been doing in the Bible all the way from the beginning, taking the youngest, the smallest, the weakest, and doing great things through them. Mm Man, Mike, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. What a great resource for parents out there of boys, What, and especially in this day and age in our culture. We really appreciate you being on Rebel Parenting. Well, thanks, Ryan and Laura. It's been great to be with you guys, and I do hope the book becomes uh, something that's helpful for a lot of your listeners and, and is filled not only with biblical principles, but hopefully with things that are practical that they can put into practice, whether it's about their allowance or their curfew mm-hmm. or picking up their toys. And, and I do hope that it's taken in that vein. This is not a, a technique book, you know, that's got to do it this way. This is the only way to do it. But I start with biblical principles that are unaltering. We can't change them. And then just trying to flesh that out in everyday life. And I hope it's a great help to your listeners. I'm sure it will be, Mike. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Okay. God bless. Great to be with you. Hey, Rebels, thanks so much for joining us today, and thanks for your prayers, thanks for your support, thanks for sharing the news about Laura's miracle. It is so amazing. We are just overwhelmed, and we can't get over it. Thanks to Mike Fabares for being our first program in March and talking to us about raising our boys to be men. Such an important topic today. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. God bless, and we will see you next week.